This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Bonjour, cousin. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. The Blasian Blurred, and this is episode 196. And it's been a week since we released the announcement that we are doing a, a joint project between Militantly Mixed and the Mix Auntie Confidential, uh, Teresa Stovall and myself, for the first Be Your Mixed Ass Self anthology. Uh, we are open for submissions now through March 15th, 2023. And uh, we've already received a lot of interest, a lot of um, DMs and comments and emails expressing interest in participating, um, which has been very gratifying for me because it tells me that this idea that I've had for so long wasn't just a pipe dream that, that people actually would love to participate in it. And from the responses we've received so far, that seems to be the case, which is very exciting. We've also received a few submissions already, uh, mostly poems, but at least one F essay so far. Uh, so if you want to learn more about it, uh, before you send in any questions, please make sure you review the militantlymix.com slash by mass anthology page. And that's by mass as in B, B as in B, Y, Y as in your, M as in mixed, A as in ass, S as in self, by mass anthology read through all those guidelines because most of the questions we've received so far in email and in dms and comments have all been addressed on that page you will need to also read that page thoroughly to make sure that you what you write qualifies uh, we are only accepting nonfiction essays and poetry under the theme of be your mixed ass self or you being your mixed ass self the the self-empowerment of of your mixed identity so if that's something that fits with what you have already written but is previously unpublished, you can submit it. If it doesn't fit and you want to write something fresh for it, just make sure you read those guidelines so that it does uh, fit within those uh, categories. Um, for some of the questions that we've received about uh, fiction or screenplays or art and photography, uh, those will not be accepted for this run of the Be Your Mix As Self anthology, but that may be something that we do for future iterations of the book because it is the goal that we will release a new anthology every year. That, I think that's enough about that. Uh, we've talked about it at length on the, the show, so you can also check out the announcement um, episode, which was uh, aired on the 17th of January between Teresa and myself, or check out the post that we've done. I've also did an Instagram Live on Saturday in which I kind of answered some of the questions that we've been receiving um, and just kind of continuing to point people over to those guidelines. Um, the other thing that you need to do is you have to go to that website anyway because that's how you pay your for your submission fee. So please don't skip checking out the guidelines before you make a submission. 
And I only have one other announcement and then we'll get into today's episode because today's episode is awesome. Uh, In the last week, I've switched podcast hosts platforms. And this is the second time I've switched a a podcast platform, a host platform since starting Militantly Mixed. And um, uh, so far, I'm pretty happy. What I've done is I've moved over from a a company that had kind of poor uh, customer service and what they sold me when I bought the package last year wasn't actually available at the level that they sold me. And when I went to express that to the the sales agent that I worked with, um, they kind of basically just shrugged and, and said like, yeah, we just, we told you about it, but I didn't mean that it was at this payment level. And I had asked very specific questions that for this rate per month, all this is available. Like I, re- I had it written down of what I've asked. So I was really upset that I was kind of stuck with, um, with something that I was less than happy with. Uh, I had given them the year to, you know, try to show me that it was worth worth it. But ultimately, I just wasn't happy. So I moved over to Anchor. Now, Anchor is a free podcast host service, which I have been reluctant in the past to switch over to. um, But that's because I have used Anchor in the past before they were bought out by Spotify, when they really didn't have that many bells and whistles yet. And they didn't really track analytics very well. Uh, They are now owned by Spotify. So they have upgraded their system and um, their customer service is just amazing. Um, I did have some trouble transitioning from my old site because the old site was garbage. Uh, But someone stayed on with me through um, a multiple hour transition to get everything up and running. I've had to contact customer service like four times already um, just because of the transition from the other site. Every time they've stayed with me until something got resolved. It's it's really been awesome. So I'm looking forward to the new relationship and um, the new opportunities that will come along with the new host. Uh, one of those is if you go to anchor.fm slash militantly mix, you can start leaving voicemails for the show, which uh, if you've been with me for a while, you've heard me talk about this several times. I love getting voicemails and interaction for the show. And there's been times when I got more interaction than kind of now. So with this new anchor system that allows for voicemails, that will be uh, more reasonable of a possibility than it has previously. In addition to that, there is an option to subscribe to the show directly um, and support us that way. I'm going to be setting it at a $2.99 per month level, um, but I haven't set that up yet. It's going to take me a couple weeks because I also need to record some exclusive content for the subscribers. So once I get all that done and uploaded, I'll let you all know about that as well. Um, but that's just a different way to support the show. We, we still have Patreon. We still have PayPal. But now we will also have Anchor if you would like to support the show that way. And I think that's pretty much it. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Mahreen. We had such a wonderful conversation and I'm really excited about it because it it shed light on a perspective that is uh, similar and different to mine. Mahreen and I are both mixed race podcasters in that we are both... uh, We both have a mixed identity and we podcast on the topic of mixedness. Marine hosts a French language podcast called Debat ton Métissage, which is kind of translated into Unpack Your Mixedness. And she comes from 
an environment of people that are predominantly mixed. She's from the Reunion Islands. In American English, we would pronounce that Reunion Islands, uh, which is a French colony uh, exclusively filled uh, exclusively with mixed people. Um, the When the French colonized that island, there were not an indigenous population, but they they enslaved people from Madagascar. They brought over indentured servitude, uh, indentured servants from China and India and other places. And then, of course, French Europeans. So everybody there is a mix of all of these things or some combination of these things. And so that is the environment that Mahrin was raised in. And then she's moved all around the world. She's lived in other French colonies. She's also lived in France. She's lived in China. She's lived in the United States. She is interracially married and she has a mixed race kid as well. So in addition to her mix, uh, she also has a, a child with a, a slightly new mix than her own. So coming from all those different perspectives and using her voice to share uh, the process of, of doing act, active anti-racism work, active decolonization work, unpacking your mixedness on her French language podcast, uh, I, I just I, I just think the the work that she's doing is is very vital because even in the case of militantly mix and other mixed race podcasts here in the United States, uh, we all cover a different aspect of mixedness. I like to talk to other people about their mixedness. Some of the shows like to talk about a topic. Um, some of the shows are solo people who just like to talk. So it's a mixed bag across the board, and every uh, every one of us provides some form of um, importance in mixedness and, and the way that we're doing it and the fact that we're all using our mixed voices in the podcasting space. And so with Marine, she had said there was a number of mixed race podcasts out there, but none of them were really talking about like the impact and of unpacking and doing anti-racism work and um, as part of your mixed identity. And so it's with that in mind that I think it's, it's, so perfect that I got a chance to to speak with Mahrin. Um, there's a number of things that we talk about. Some of these things are going to come back in conversations coming up soon, probably on Mixante Confidential, or if I do um, panel discussions, because, uh, yeah, there's just some stuff in this that, that we talk about that I'm listening. I was writing side notes going, I need to learn more about this, or I need to address this in my own life and, and things like that. It was such a wonderful conversation. So... Without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Mahrin. Uh, so I'm mixed and my nationality is French. You can probably hear my accent. So apologize my French and you my French accent. <laughs> <laughs> so I live on the Tamian Nation. Currently, the Tamian Nation is also known as uh, South Bay in the Silicon Valley. Um, I've been living in the U.S. now 
for almost seven years. So I'm originally from Rainian Island. Rainian Island is an African island next to Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. It's a former slave colony, a French slave colony that is now a French state. And this island is very specific because there was no indigenous people on it. Yeah. And so all of us were brought, like it was like um, white French Europeans at first. It was a prison. Then they started to think, oh, maybe we can turn in in some colony for mm -hmm. cane sugar and coffee, then vanilla. So slave was brought mostly from Madagascar and Mozambique. Then later on, they realized that to cut cane sugar, you need a large knife, you need saber, and they couldn't give it to the enslaved mm. black people. So France also had colony in India. So they brought a lot of people from India. Then later on during war for independence in uh, Vietnam and Laos, that were there were French colony too. Lots of people came, and and also from South um, South China too came. So we are very mixed. Mm -hmm. So my grandpa is mixed Chinese and Indian. My grandma is mixed uh, from uh, Malagasy people of Madagascar, so mm -hmm. African and Indian. And then happens me who is also half white. Yeah. So I am mixed. I'm from a country that is based on mixedness, mm -hmm. but mixedness from trauma. Right. So a lot of trauma in on this island. We don't have much conversation about mixedness, about right. being mixed, metis, because um, this is something that we were taught we should be proud. Like, you know, this fake idea, like mixedness with end racism. Right, oh, we've yeah. been there for five centuries. If this yeah. and anything, if it would be done for a while. Yeah. yeah. So no. Yeah. And um, this quote, I um, take it from an Instagram account is also, uh, um, so is that his name? M. Committees. I'll share information about it. So was also an activist account for mixed people, mixed race people, sorry, mm. but in French. And yes, yeah, so I didn't realize my mixedness for a very long time because I was living on Rainian Island where right. everybody is like me and my skin color. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a no topic or right. not really like everything was mentioned, but not like we didn't talk it about on an anti-racist way. Right. Then I moved to um, Maohinui, colonized name is French Polynesia, mm -hmm. Tahiti. So I moved there. And I spent like this two decades without realizing anything. Then I start um, working. I was very colonized, very, very colonized. Like I was a teacher teaching French as a second language, meaning that I was traveling around the world to teach those poor souls French language mm. and French culture. Oh, in colonized, in French colonized places. <clears throat> So the first one, yes, it was Madagascar. Mm. Then I went to Uganda and Uganda was colonized by the British. Right. Then I went to China. So nothing. Then I moved to the US. And it's actually in the US that I realized 
that I was someone of color, that I was someone from the global yeah. majority. I never realized it, even in China. Mm-hmm. And it was really arriving in the US. Also, I arrived and I think three months later, a former orange president was elected. Mm-hmm. And I think this is when I started realizing things, but I didn't have the words because things right. were new for me. I've been on this um, dominant white country for only three months. So it took me, it took me years. It took me years. It took me a pregnancy. So it was during my pregnancies that I started to realize, oh my gosh, I've been through so much microaggression here. Mm-hmm. And I was always angry. So I had childhood trauma. But it was also like, really, I experienced so many microaggression and racism in the US. I didn't realize that I was accumulating it. And later on, I found out, okay, so this is what I have. I have a racial trauma based on this, 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 starting therapy. And, um, and there was the assassination, the murder of George Floyd. And this is when it was, okay, now um, I have to be active. My baby was two or three months old. I was already in this process and this was really the element of, okay, I'm about to spend many more years in this country. It was, it was not supposed to be the case. We were supposed to leave and go back to China. This didn't happen because of the pandemic, mm. because my baby was born at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh. And so this is when a lot of things happened and I realized, oh my gosh. I threw myself into anti-racism and social justice journey, like, and it was like, the more you find out, the deeper you go. Like at first it was like really anti-blackness. Then it was realizing um, the LGBTQ phobia and uh, ableism, this kind of things. And it was going deeper, deeper, deeper. And then I was asked, but am I legitimate to talk about this topic? Mm. Like I am an able body neurotypical. I haven't been diagnosed. Even if I might think that I have ADHD, sure. <laughs> I haven't been diagnosed. So TikTok makes us all feel like we yeah. need a diagnosis. <laughs> so yeah, so I, for now, I'll say I'm neurotypical mm-hmm. and I am mixed. So I do not want to talk in the name of black people because my experience is not the it's same. Different, right? I do not want to talk in the name of East Asian people because clearly I didn't experience this racism. Mm-hmm. I do not want to talk about South Asian people because I am mixed. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, where is my position? And if I start this activism, where should I uh, start it? And from which point of view? Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, my Instagram account, Marine Mom Creole, because Marine, my name, mom, because I'm a mother. And at first it was sharing a lot of books, children books about anti-racism and social justice in general. Mm-hmm. Then Creole, because um, Creole is, there are many Creoles around the world, like sure, Creoles yeah. in Haiti, in Louisiana, but Reunionese people are also Creole right. and Creole. So, and the dominant language this, would be of Creole yeah, and it's, a Creole yes. kind of side by side. On a, yes. So yes, I started this Instagram account and I started talking more and more about mixedness. And that's when I started, okay, let's look for podcasts. And I found out many accounts and podcasts in English and in French, there were a few, mm. but it was mostly about the mixed race people experience. That was very interesting. And I could relate in some, 
but there was not much about how to position yourself in the anti-racist journey and on the racial chessboard. Mm -hmm. Where do we play? What are our privileges? What are our trauma? Where do we stand? Where can we talk? And where do we have to stand back and be a strong ally, being a support and not taking too much space? Right. When were we legitimate to talk about a topic where we're not? Are we all the same mix or it depends on which mixedness you are? This kind of thing. So I created a podcast named Debal ton métissage, means unpacked your mixedness. Nice. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so now with um, mostly French speaker guests, we talk about it and how, how do we stand, how hard it is to find the balance, the journey we go through and this is where I am now. That's so wonderful. Yeah, I, I, um, I think activism is, a, is kind of a major way in which people are starting to identify their mixedness in different ways, but also immigrating to a country that, you, that just has a different thing. The amount of people I speak to who say they weren't a person of color or they weren't a member of the global majority until they got here it's it's almost everybody I speak to that's not from the United States in particular, because even Canadians view like race and and you know POC and things like that's different than than the United States. But the the way that in this country it's entirely focused on um, where you sit in your racial class versus anything else first. Um, it's it's crazy that you would go your whole life not technically having a mixed identity, not need, I guess not needing to have one because of the environment that you come up with. And then suddenly you kind of have to pick one here because that's the way, that's the way they do it here. Um, it's, it, it's interesting how fast a uh, learning curve you have to have and perform in, like when you get here, like you said three months and you're like, oh, I'm a whole different type of person here than I expected that I could be. Um, but to be able to, to enter activism spaces and do work, I think is important, especially as us as mixed people. And I think where our lane is, is in all the places. <laughs> you know, I do think there are places in which we're not, we don't need to be the loudest voice. Absolutely. Looking the way you and I both look, we wouldn't stand on the stage at Black Lives Matter and be the loudest speaking black representative, or, you know, we wouldn't be at, um, uh, stop Asian hate and be the loudest speakers there, but we could be there in support. And so a lot of the work that I, I like to try to do is in the solidarity movement space, because then I can say, hey, I'm, I can be a conduit between both of these organizations or something like that. And I can say how I maneuver within both of these issues as, as a mixed person myself. But you have, your intersectionality comes a lot you have a lot more because you've lived in multiple countries, so you have multiple different perspectives, not to mention you come from a place where everybody is mixed, so you don't have to talk about being mixed. Like, there, there's a lot going on. I would love to see, like, how this work even happens in such a short amount of time, because seven years is not really a long time to be, to, to hit that learning curve, to, you know, to be able to, to talk about this stuff well. And then as a parent, you're facing, how do I address this with my own child who's going to grow up in a country different than what I grew up in? We got all kinds of stuff to talk about. <laughs> what do you want to start? Yes. <laughs> and the thing is, even if I'm French, I didn't grow up in the, on the European continent. Right. I only spent 
two years actually in mm. France European. So um, it was like I almost never spend time in a white dominant country. So mm. I'm sure what mixed race living on France experience is different. And they probably had this awakening way before me because I was in French Polynesia, Maohinui, and in Rainian Island. So two tro- different, tropicals. Yeah, yeah. Different types of and, brown in both places. So you don't yes. have to necessarily be, a, there's no reason you would be a, more aware of yeah. how white supremacy and whiteness impacts you. If you don't see them as much, but they're impacting you because it's yes. colonization. It's yes, it was like the, it was very, um, how do you say, like the majority was um, minorized. I know that. Right. Like, yeah, like it, we were the majority, but still, we will still be put at the second, second plane. Class. Yeah. Second class compared to the minority, the white minority, yeah. who will always be the first class. It's a little bit different for Maohinui because they have a strong independent political party mm. who had been, uh, who had uh, won the elections a couple of times mm, through okay. the three last decades. So it's a little bit different and the same. Uh, so it's different like from Reunion. And also Maohinui is an independent country, but still attached to France. So they have French passport. But they have their own territorial president and um, senate. Compared to Rainian Island, that is a state. Mm, okay, so, so it's more very different. Then for, for where you come so from? I would say that culturally, one is safe, has more advantage because has more independence, and the others that is totally like absorbed by France. It's a little bit complicated. And the distance between the two countries make it the plane tickets are more expensive. So you don't have many um, white people moving to French Polynesia, Maohinui, mm-hmm. because it's expensive. Right. It's uh, compared to Rainier Island, it's a 10 hours flight, while it's about 20 hours to go to France. So it's, oh, okay. so it's, it's very different. And so we're starting to see a massive gentrification in Rainian Island. Because it's only the rich, rich that can support. Yes. And not, um, not especially the rich, rich, because they're extremely rich. They will go to French Polynesia. They that have the money. True. You go to Bora Bora and it's fine. And Rainian Island is just like it's closer. So they can still fly back to mm-hmm. France twice a year. And you still have the tropical weather because it's very south, but yeah a lot of unemployment it's about 45 percent so it's a lot Uh, gentrification like all the west who has not as much rain and when there is a hurricane because there are hurricanes like from january to march Mm. december i would say december to february lots of hurricanes but it touch especially like the east coast and not the Mm. west coast and you can also see them since the employment touch mostly creoles it's hard to find a job so you cannot pay rents and the rents and uh, 
are getting higher and higher and the good places where the bars, the clubs and all these kind of things are moving to the west and not to the east. So the poorest population will be south or east and the wealthiest will be on the west of the island. Mm. So, yeah. When you when you left for the first time, was your expectation that you would go back? Like, do you do you have an idea of going back there or do you you said you were spending like a couple of years at a time in, in each country? Was it ever a thought that you were going to be gone that long? So I, um, my family moved when I was 14 years old. Mm, okay. So it was right before, right during my teenage identity. So it's very funny because I, I cook, I eat, I speak Creole. But I also, when I also think home, I think about Tahiti oh, because okay. I dance did all my high school, did my bachelor degree there. That makes sense. So it's, it's a little bit here. So when like on, even on my, um, Instagram podcast, I also advocate a lot for French Polynesia, even if when I write things in Creole, of course I was, it's more like about Rainin Island because I think like I'm not legitimate to talk about what's going on in Tahiti and Tahiti Nui, mm. but it's yeah, complicated. That's that's such an interesting part, I think, of uh, what we deal with as mixed people. Like you, I came into my identity uh, more strongly between 15 and above because that's the time you're trying to figure out who you are, right? You're a teenager. You have to figure out which group you want to hang out with and what you know what makes you popular versus not popular. And so even though I was born in a different place, I, I identify with being from Long Beach because that's where I was at that time. Um, and so in that, the kind of culture that I grew up, the very specific type of black environment that I was in, those are the kind of black people that to this day, I'm more comfortable around than white people, than Asian people, than anybody else, even people that I'm share a mix with, because it's a very specific type of culture that comes from that place. So in that respect, I feel like it's fair to speak on and represent what was happening in that place where you were at at that time. That's when you were coming alive right that's when you were waking up to things but I also understand that because you're not from there and because you're mixed and you're not sharing necessarily the same ethnic makeup that you're like is it is it my place but you have a really unique perspective because that's when you paid attention like that's when you started to pay more attention that's the time period so like you probably know as much or a decent amount to be able to engage on that topic but I feel like no matter what we say as mixed people, there's always a there's always a caveat. There's always an asterisk. Oh, but they're mixed, or you know, they're they're not. They didn't grow up here. Some there's something telling people. I can tell part of this story, but I can't. I can't tell the whole story, yeah. or take what I say with a grain of salt because you know I'm only mixed or something, which is a tough thing for us to have to to put a caveat on everything. So I like to say that we we can take up space in a lot of places in which our mix we share identity culture something um but as a person who moves around from different countries i think part of that country gets in there to you too it's now a part of your story it's a part of your dna i think now so it's tough. like i feel like you should be able to talk about it but also understanding that you you want to be uh mindful of what the people that are native to those areas actually experience. How do you feel having had a child here in the United States? Like, do you feel like the United States is going to be more of a permanent location for you now? And, and if so, you're, you're raising 
Americans third culture child. Yes, you might smile. Like, <laughs> like I can see it. Like it's building. It's just like, all right, let's get into this. <laughs> so <laughs> this child is American and we at first we didn't think about staying much in the US. This wasn't my my goal. I wanted to travel back. I fell in love with China. Mm. And for two years I tried hard to go back, but it was during the pandemic. It was extremely hard. So 2020 and 2021, uh, the border was still closed. So I decided, okay, let's just stop it. And we are just going to stay here a little while. And my husband loves his jobs here. Mm. So we decided, okay, maybe it's time, time for me to envision myself in somewhere. So we're not planning on going back to France for many reasons. First of all, I feel it's weird, but I feel actually safer in the US than in France. Oh, really? In the US, the conversation about social justice is open. Like we can talk about race, we can talk about ableism, we can talk about LGBTQ phobia. It's complicated, but we are open to discuss. I see. In France, it's not, absolutely not. Like they changing, they rewrite the constitution, but they rewrite it just to erase the word race saying there's no race it's just a human oh, race so we don't French, talk about this not... topic yeah I see. so they erase it from all the constitution could you imagine so no we're not going back so, and if we have to we're not going back to the european continent it will be maybe Iranian island maybe another um overseas state but not because france has many uh, but we are not going back to. And so, yes, yeah, so I'm now envisioning myself more and more in the US. Mm. I know my privileges too. And yeah, and having a child here, is, uh, I think it would have been complicated anywhere because sure. it's an anti-racist journey, but also we, so I am cisgender and straight. My husband is too, but we are raising our child is a non-binary and non-gender way. Mm -hmm. So we don't use uh, gender, we use gender neutral pronouns, like we use they, them, because our child don't know when you ask them, are you a girl or a boy? They say, I'm the best doggy. Yeah. One thing that I'm sure is this child is not a doggy. (laughs) So let's keep going for they, them, and we'll, we'll see later on. So yeah, so. Turn three soon, we'll see, but we're just totally how, adapting. And it's hard they... for people to understand this pronoun thing. Yeah, mm. I don't it's so it's so weird because they'll actually use they them and third yes. person to explain why they don't understand how to use it. But mm-hmm. they're using it correctly while they're saying that they don't think it's real. It's amazing. I I, I And it exists in English. It doesn't exist in French. That's what I was about to ask. The way that gender roles and gendered pronoun or gendered words, let's say just words, how how does that differ? Like where in the different places that you've been, from you know where you grew up to to now, it being so prevalent here in the United States, like it's such a major focus. How is it different? It's very different because um, U.S you have it's mostly just the pronouns mm. but french is like spanish everything has a gender table is feminine mm-hmm. everything has a gender so it's very hard for them and there was no such thing as 
talking about an individual that you don't know using they them. It's gonna be masculine mostly. The defaults to masculine. So defaults is masculine. So it's very complicated. And so we create mixed, like we use the masculine is il and the feminine is el. And put it together, il and el means yell. Mm. And instead of using feminine or masculine adjectives, just use a neutral one. Like instead of saying courageous, because courageous in French is courageux, courageuse. So it has feminine and masculine. Use brave, brave, because okay. you, there's no something. It's pretty neutral. Okay. And yes, and um, it's hard for French people. They not very comfortable with it, so they strongly oppose. So it's very hard. Why? Here in the US, I think the conversation is starting. So mm. we, yeah. And so I think it's important for me to say this because how did I ended up doing this? It's because my anti-racist journey learned me to decolonial journey. Mm -hmm. And when you start looking into this, you're like, okay, where does this come from? Where does it, oh my gosh. Okay, so this is actually from Europe, from Christians and missionary. And so then you start, okay, so, but what was my ancestor using? And you start looking, looking, looking everywhere. And so then you realize, okay, so yeah. let's change a couple of things. So yes, so the way we see neurodivergent people, mm -hmm. the way we see genders, kind of things, everything is from colonization, mm -hmm. not saying like all or everything from missionaries. Some cultures had already binary, some had not. Mm -hmm. But it was very, very important for me to start this decolonization journey, especially like when I started to realize, okay, I'm a colonizer too. I'm a settler here. Mm -hmm. So I need to learn more about indigenous cultures and the one that I'm living in, the one I was living and it's kind of things that you start realizing, oh, 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 and then you start it's changing everything. So many different levels. It makes it it makes yes. it tough to like you want to be mindful and you you actively try and then you're you're mindful and you pick up all these different things. I, I, I'm thinking about LGBTQ plus. I'm thinking about uh, unceded territories. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. And then one random thing that you have no like you it wasn't on your lens at all, and it's just like a word that we use in English or something. And you'll find out that the origin of that word is absolutely yes. racist or absolutely colonist or whatever. American imperialism does not get discussed about as heavily here in this country as we need to. And then you're just like, oh, God. <laughs> it's a constant yeah. battle to try to do that. So it's knowing that you're, you're entering into that, that workload with your child. Like, I think it's amazing to, to start from scratch with the idea of allow that child to tell you who they are when they tell you versus starting yes. now and having to fix it later. I think that is, is such an amazing thing. And so much, so much like the benefits I think that your child is going to experience down the line. Not have, I think there'll be pressures. Obviously. I hope there's going to be <laughs> pressures, but I hope that they also see like how, how much freer they'll get a chance. Hopefully that they'll get a chance to be yeah. um, with that. So I, I think that's amazing. And knowing that you have so many languages in your head, having to fix gendered language, like for you more so than like and just a, an English speaker here in the states, like you, you have so many finding of gendered words going on. That's amazing. 
And on my Instagram account, I always publish in two languages, French mm -hmm. and English. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny because the things that I would say in French wouldn't be the exact same in English. Right. And so, yeah. So when uh, it's very funny to see like, okay, this is not the same thing. And you write the post and it's a little bit different. Right. And yeah, because that's the other thing is, and I, I don't know, I'm only speaking as an English speaker. I feel like English speakers believe that there is a precise translation of every language into English where English is considered an obvious default in their mind um, so that if you can't say like I always found it was very frustrating that even though I was born in America and English was my first language there's some things that I say or do in Japanese because that's what I did at home so if I say it in front of an English speaker and they're like well what does that mean and, I, and I'll say there's really no way to translate it or the best that I can say is it's like doing the, you know, um, it's like this. But then if they meet another Japanese person who says the same thing, that Japanese person is going to explain it totally different in English the way that I do. And then they'll come back to me and be like, that's not what, or so-and-so told me that's not what that means. And I was like, well, what they're, what they describe is correct too. Like it's because it has no translation. So to sit there and work, like, it's very frustrating. Even being born here, it's very frustrating dealing with English speakers because of that belief that, the English language is the default and therefore everything translates correctly into it. And this is not way, plus the content, like you have to put context that exists here that doesn't exist in other countries or vice versa when you're trying to explain a topic, especially something as heavy as anti-racism. If your culture doesn't talk about race, then what context do you put it in to explain it to people? So you true. Know? And especially <laughs> like we're going to use the English word like uh, there's no such thing there's no word in france to talk about being colorblind mm. or digital blackface so it's very complicated and so this is also something that the racist use is like oh that's an american thing they use this american word they say yeah but actually we have if you want to talk about blackface there's a french name is barbouillage but if we say barbouillage almost no one understands when we say blackface Everybody get it. Mm, mm. So it's, it's, I think France is just maybe a decade, <laughs> a little bit back, but it's getting faster. So social media can have bad influence, but can also good influence. And now information travels so fast. So now we are this, this knowledge difference that we have between like someone who will publish a PhD and we're starting to talk about it in the US and will take like 20 years before being translated in French. Now you will have activists that speak both languages that would immediately translate some mm. part of it, create posts or make a reel, uh, a TikTok video or whatever. And then the information travels faster. So I think we are, maybe it's getting too fast and people are, it's very hard to digest mm -hmm. everything. Like it took me two years before I actually decide, okay, Let's start this podcast. I think I've done enough homework. I will always learn. Not mm -hmm. that I know everything, but I will always learn. But maybe now I know where I want to talk from, what I want to acknowledge, and things that I've learned from many other activists. Like I never felt like if I write a pod, if I do a podcast, like to acknowledge where I am recording, where I am. Mm -hmm. It's thanks to yours. That's it. Oh, this okay. is so true that I should say it at the end of my podcast, this podcast was recorded on the Taming Nation. I'm very grateful and those kind of things like, so yeah, and I'm sure 
things would change and I was still learning from others. Yeah, the way I the way I started to do it was I went to an event in Seattle called the Geek Girl Con. It was like a, a, a comic book and sci-fi and science um, conference for girls like 13 to adulthood. And there was like NASA scientists and women speakers and stuff like that. It was a really, really fun event. And before every panel, they mentioned the territory that they were living on. And then in, and then in some cases, depending on what panel I went to, they could deep dive into it a little bit more. And so the, the more I hit, by the time I ended it, I was like, I need to understand where I'm at. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a brown person who feels like a second-class citizen in my own country, but I, it's only my own country because I was born here because some white people yeah. settled and some people, you know, and some black people were enslaved and, you know, some Air Force guys went to other countries and brought their wives here. And if not for all of those things, this would not be my country. So... Um, yeah, that's why I started to do it. And, uh, it, I'm happy to hear that it actually, like, you know, someone would hear it too and, and that it would make that kind of impact. Um, and I think it's a good work in, in activism and anti, anti-racism work to make yourself aware and be so mindful that if I travel in record, I look up, where did I just travel? So that I can make sure that I mention it there if I'm recording in that location too to be honest. Um, and then uh, I record with other people and they, they're in different territories too. So I have them, you know, we pull that up for them. So that's, that's nice to hear that, that that had that impact. It does get to a place though, like I said, you, you know, so many things, it, once you wake up, <laughs> once you be, you know, become woke. When you get out of the fog. Yeah, when you get out of the fog, fog, you see it everywhere. Like there's, there's no place you can't see it. Your iPhone is made in, you know, factories where low labor, uh, low wages and heavy labor and children, you know, things like that. You have to be aware of so many things um, that it can be daunting. So in terms of getting to yourself to a point like you and I got to where we decided to make a podcast, we really had to pick a thing and be like, okay, sometimes we'll mention these other things, but here's the main focus because if we couldn't, if we couldn't find that one main focus, we would not have been able to get to the place that we got in recording our shows finally, I think, because it took me a couple of years as well. Like I had the website, the domain, the social media handles. I had all of that stuff for years before I finally pressed record because I, I had to fight that imposter syndrome, answer the question for myself, can I talk about this topic? You know, like you've been saying throughout this recording as well. Am I allowed to be the person that talks about this? And and I think as long as you're acknowledging your perspective and acknowledging when you learn something, because if I listen back to early episodes, I I can hear myself go from a non-informed, possibly problematic stance to hearing a new bit of information, internalizing it, and starting to use it correctly later, you know, doing the right thing later. And that's happened so many times for me over the last four years. So I feel a lot stronger of a person, a lot better of a podcaster because of it. Um, but yeah, until, yep. you pre- until you press record, you can't figure out where your baseline is, you know. Yeah, and it takes some time, and we are always learning. Like I archive, archive, like so many posts archive. that I did like two years ago, like, no, I, I don't align with this anymore. Like the mm-hmm. same, like I used to say, my child was white passing. Okay. And now I'm not saying this anymore. 
because I think that I'm putting my vision mm-hmm. on them. And this is not fair. It's the same that I was putting a gender on them for one year until realizing, okay, no, 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 no. I'm forcing what I see and what I've learned that might be wrong onto them. And this is not fair. So they will racially identify the way they want. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's a limit. If they come and say, I'm black, I'll be like, eh, Elza, <laughs> then let's talk about this. So, well, that's another complicated thing, too. Um, as, as a person who looks like I look and identifies as black, when you're talking about black in America, it means something different than when you're talking about global blackness, right? So, yes. you know, you can acknowledge, in that case, in educating them and like ethnic, ethnically, you do include people from Africa who were black. But now, looking the way you look, you can you're gonna have to clarify that that's an ethnic identity, and you know. But then we have yes, when we say black here, we also mean black culture, Amer- black American culture. So it's always complicated with a mixed black yes. person here in the United States, uh, in a way that I don't know that I have enough education yet on. Even though I've spoken to a lot of mixed black people around the world, us coming from different places, I can't say that it's exactly the same of a foggy area for say someone born in um france or england or spain yeah. that has black heritage you know african heritage versus yeah. american black being very different so i mean yeah like we'll see what happens but i imagine your child at some point will have questions about the black identity and if they grow up around black and we people, will talk we'll talk like we're not african-american we are not really african-european yeah we are specific so if is very specific. you want to use like creole if you want to and i'm sure I'm sure this child is not even three. Yeah. Later on, the, we will find new words. Right. We will have yeah. more research and we will learn from each other. I'm sure I will learn more from them than they will learn from me because my knowledge will get a little bit old. Right. But yeah, so we will see. But I want to stop forcing identity and labels on this child yeah. because I think they should define themselves the way they want. And I will give them all the knowledge, all the labels, and they can see from where they stand and how they identify themselves, which one they want to take. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So in when you were using the term white passing for your child, was it learning about the, the history of enslavement and the term white passing that adjusted that? Or was it more about just the decolonization in general that you were getting to that versus using a term like nowadays, People are trying to use like white assumed or, yeah. you know, things like that. Yes. So it was because I think this was the word that is still used in French. We don't it use is. yet white assume or white presenting it was white passing. And the definition was kind of what my child might look like. They are blonde, white with blue eyes. Mm-hmm. That was a shock for me. I bet. When I hold this baby, it was really a shock. Because I didn't expect this. And so I felt, oh my gosh, people won't relate us to each other. What about if people ask if I'm the nanny? What about if some were going to, I don't know, some state and they think that I'm kidnapping this child? And this child is mine. Mm-hmm. So yes, at least we speak French. So they can maybe think right. like, okay, no, they might be related. But it was something frightening me. So I needed to give an explanation and a racial identification to my child but it was from my perspective and so even white assume that would be 
probably better than white passing. I think this still would be me giving it so I maybe. But there's also a context I think you explained, which is probably tougher on a three year old than, you know, maybe later on, which is that the outside people the way they treat you based off of their assumptions yes. will impact your identity. Even if you don't want that to be the case. Like we, we talk a lot about that need for validation that a lot of mixed people have of where, you know, someone who looks like me, who black people can, black Americans can tell I'm black, but they obviously know I'm mixed with something else. A black person will ask me what I'm mixed with. It's acknowledging they see that I'm black, but what's the other stuff? Whereas a white person would say, what are you? Meaning you were an other from me. Yeah. So in that case, I think in, in however we can break it down to a three-year-old, um, maybe later on in life a little bit easier to, to be able to say that the way you're treated on the outside or the way people assume you are on the outside will have an impact on your identity, whether you're actively allowing it to or not. It just will. And in that case, I think assume, I'm trying to get to the place where assumed is the word I use yeah. the most. Um, I'm still kind of doing the strikes between because some people use white presenting or white appearing, white presumed, white assumed. You know, yeah, and, and maybe my child will uh, will make it on purpose to be white presenting. That's why for now I sure. will give them all the vocabulary. And I know, I know people assume that my child is white and I'm not forcing anyone to, to and I'm not saying that anyone is wrong or right. Mm -hmm. This child, we have many, many privileges. Yeah. Blonde, blue eyes, white. Oh, yes, they will have way more than me. Because I am the representation of the mixed race. Like I am brown, light skin. I have straight hair. My feature looks kind of European. So, to yeah, me, I know. I'm... You look like all the things that you describe of the people that ended up on that island. You look like if you turn your head <laughs> this way, I see one. If you turn your head this way, I yeah. see the other. Like you, you, you look as much a part of the fabric of all the people that ended up there as anybody I have ever seen. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I know, like, to be fetishized, fetish. Yes, fetishized, yeah. Yeah, fetishized, sorry. Are you so, yeah, I will be, I will be, I'll, I'll be definitely, like, in this arrow, and I'm mm -hmm. the acceptable version of everything, like, right. the acceptable South Asian, acceptable Black version, because... Mm -hmm. obviously they can see the white they just don't know then depending on which group i am they don't really see which are the global majority groups that i'm from and i'm actually right. from many of them mm -hmm. so yeah yeah um i i think that's it's an amazing way to raise your child i'm sure it's filled with a lot of challenges but i'm i'm so excited to like find out in like 15 years how how they'll identify um, based off of all that what you're giving them, you know, because one of the things I talk about on the show a lot is like I have biracial parents, both of my parents are mixed, but they didn't prepare me to be a mixed person. They prepared me to be a black person that was light skinned and also Asian, you know, so I was never, there wasn't the explanation of like you're mixed and you're going to sit in ambiguity across all these different people. It wasn't like that. It was just like, we live in a black neighborhood. You're black. But then also you got a Japanese family. You know, like you got a Japanese yeah. grandma. So 
you know, I would say weekend Japanese because I didn't know how to tell people like every single day I'm all these things. I have a British grandmother who lived with us. I have a Japanese grandma who I lived with. I have a black dad, you know, uh, um, I have a, a white and Japanese mom who lives in blackness. So with all these things happening, yeah. they did not prepare me to how to talk about it. I had to learn outside. I had to learn as an adult how to talk about it. Um, and with you giving your child so many ways to be able to talk about it throughout their life, I'm sure they're, they're going to be a, just a, a mixed old warrior by the time they're older. They'll be able to talk about it in yeah. a way that's hopefully very healthy. So I'm excited to. I hope so. And their parents are, are behind them. Yeah, exactly. Right no, that's amazing. <laughs> because our mixes are different and we experience different things, um, sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it can be very heavy. But what is something that you really enjoy? What do you love most about being a mixed person? Hmm. I think what I like is knowing so many cultures and be fond of all of them and to have the knowledge of all of them. Like, sure, we, so we celebrate Holi, Diwali, but also we will eat dumplings for Lunar New Year and we will do not really Christmas in the Christian way, but still celebrating uh, Christmas. And so we are trying to learn more about Kwanzaa, but Kwanzaa is really about African-American and we are not, but like getting more into the culture because now that we're living in the US, mm -hmm. uh, I thought at first it was hard. It was a lot of imposter syndrome. And now I found that it's something that it's the power because now I know how important it is to know yourself, to be able to stand properly and to know, in fact, where you talk from to whom and to be more fair in your judgment or the way you advocate for something. Yeah. Earlier, and you said it a couple of times and I wrote it down because I like it so much, is you were talking about like where you fit on the anti-racist chessboard. Do you have an idea of what that is, like in terms of breaking down the pieces of, of a chessboard, of, of what the stages of anti-racism work is on the anti-racist chessboard? I think uh, personally, and I cannot speak for everybody mm -hmm. and for my I, mixed race identity, I stand as a accomplice okay. more than a lie now, accomplice to um, anti-Asian racism and anti-blackness. Okay. And, um, and I think like, I will say I, I will be on the chessboard like more like a tower, like I'm not in the front, not especially like the queen or the queen, but more like on the, not as strong as the force, but like on the side and using my whiteness when needed, mm. when I feel, when I feel okay, this is not okay. And this person, I don't want to put racial mental load on this person. It's time to use my whiteness. So using it and knowing where, where and when to use it. Mm -hmm. Based on, of course, asking, say, do you want me to intervene or not? If I feel like this person is frozen, just intervene right away. Yeah. And um, yeah, it would be like this, like knowing where I stand and waiting to be used if I need to be used. And uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I probably should have asked that question earlier, but it's been sitting in my head this whole time. I'm just like, I, <laughs> I want to talk about this anti-racism question. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I want for those people who listen to the show, because I do have um, some French and Belgium followers at least, um, what, how do they find your podcast if they want to listen to your, the French language podcast? So the podcast is deballe.ton.metissage, D-E-B-A-L-E.T-O-N.M-E-T-I-S-S-A-G-E. And they can find it on mainstream ones like uh, Deezer, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and also on YouTube because they have uh, the subtitles for people who want to have access to podcasts without hearing it. And so, yeah, you can find it. And also on Instagram, this one, or marine.mom.creole with a K. So marine.mom, M-O-M, Creole, K-R-E-O-L. And it's in French and English. Okay. And, and sometimes in Creole. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's, it's amazing, especially when you know you're in such a small minority of the kind of podcast. Like, you know, there, you said there weren't any French language ones really happening. And so you try to get in there. Um, I think it's really important for the more, more of us to, to be able to do that in the places that we can. And it'll be so much more ha helpful in creating language in French about the stuff in anti-racism that's not being addressed yet. Um, you're definitely going to be a big part of that, I think. So I appreciate that you do that much. Thank you. There are, just one point, there are um, French podcasts about mixedness. It's just a... Uh, Mine is very specific about where do we stand against uh, in in the anti-racist uh, right. fight. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. that that's a extra, I think I mean that's an important aspect of this because the same with you know here there's tons of English speaking mixed race podcasts, but I think um, my lane, my personal lane, is to be able to talk from both an experience side and an activist, or in my case, elevation is position that I hold and elevate without those two things I don't make sense for myself I guess um, so in having something like that in the French language I think is also really important because here in the United States we don't think about France is fancy here they're not thought about as a colonizer here you know no. maybe in New Orleans but you know here they're not really thought about that way and they are out there doing the same thing <laughs> they're doing the colonizer oh, yes country. yes so, and France was one of the colonizer countries on this land, so, on this land yeah. as well, yeah. It's just that that's faded in, in a yeah. lot of people's memory. But again, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you me. so much for inviting me. Thank you for creating this podcast and for educating us and elevating us. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.